Uh, so for those that don't know, Boris Johnson is now. Uh, but she did something that had, was unprecedented from any government anywhere in the world in the history of humanity. She appointed a loneliness minister. A loneliness minister. So effectively what that means is the UK recognized that the greatest pandemic that they were facing was loneliness. And they did what all that they could do, which was to appoint someone, pay them a whole lot of money as a government minister to try and resolve loneliness in Britain. In the US, 35% of people that are United States citizens are medically diagnosed as chronically alone and are medicated for it. 35%. The former chief general surgeon of the public, the, head, the operational head of the public health system, Vivek Murthy, wrote this in the Harvard Business Review. During my years, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. The greatest pathology of our lives today. Loneliness. What has happened to humanity that our greatest issue is not the war, as much as the things going on in Ukraine don't please us. What is going on around the world that we have become so dysfunctional as human beings that we find ourselves alone in a world which is more connected than ever? See, the gospel has the answer for that. Jesus has the answer for that. The reason that people are more and more alone is because we are more and more individual. We've started to highlight our own choices and our own preferences and what I can become and the way my truth, and it's, it's my, my truth is okay, you can have yours, but I can have mine. And, and in the rise of individualism has not led to a healthier society, it's led to a broken down society where people are alone and being medicated and governments are spending millions of pounds to try and resolve loneliness. There are some of you sitting in this room who come here Sunday after Sunday and you think that you're a part of community, but you're desperately alone because you've possibly misunderstood community. And so what is it about the gospel that changes that story? Because what individualism does is it means that I start to put myself first, which immediately moves. So if we're looking at social commentators, uh, they use the word tribalism. It puts us into tribes. It puts us into people like us, which means that there are people not like us. So it starts to put us opposed to one another, and we start to fight with one another. My opinion and my people, because I've got support, because there's someone else like me, you're wrong. And so individualism leads to tribalism, which is based on a hate culture, whereas the gospel puts us into community, which is based on you having a different opinion to me, but in love we're able to stand together. So the gospel is different to what governments are doing all around the world, what, chief, uh, what general surgeons are doing around the world, the amount of money going into drugs to medicate for loneliness. You see, here's the deal. You cannot legislate and you cannot medicate loneliness because it's an issue of the heart. The only person, the only people that can deal with issues of the heart is the church in Jesus Christ. The only place. You cannot constitutionalize you cannot legislate anti-racism because it's a condition of the heart. 
So today we're going to take a few minutes this community Sunday as we get to celebrate babies and we get to celebrate baptisms and we get to celebrate communion meal together. I'm going to take a few minutes to try and address this loneliness thing so we can understand community. I, I, I know that I'm going to be doing this in a very short space of time so that we can enjoy the expression of community together. Uh, and so I really I'm going to be introducing some ideas to you that require some further workings out. Is that okay? So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he being Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, and the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. They were mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boats and their father, and they followed him. So here's the deal. I don't know if you've ever given this thought. Jesus' invitation to follow him is actually an invitation to be a part of his community. So there was never a first disciple. No one can lay claim to a first disciple. The first people Jesus calls are brothers together. He doesn't call you alone. He calls you together. The next group of people that he called was another two brothers. Not an individual. No one gets to lay claim to being the first individual. The gospel is fundamentally different to loneliness and individualism. Fundamentally different. And we see it in the calling of the first disciples. It goes on. Matthew chapter 8, 18 to 22. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. He was on a boat. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you will go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Seems like quite a harsh statement from Jesus. What he's saying is this, that actually I first call you into being a follower of Jesus into a community. And the second thing is actually there's quite a high bar into that community. Not for salvation. Jesus pays that price through his blood, through his body given on the cross. So there's not a high bar in terms of entry into salvation, entry into God's kingdom. But there is a high bar into his community. And we've got to weigh up that cost. And so Jesus says to this one guy, he says, I'm going to follow you anywhere. Hey, listen, well, I don't have a place to put my head tonight. Are you happy with that? And then to another guy, hey, let me just go and bury my dad. And the historians will tell us this, that that guy's dad hadn't just died. What he said was, okay, my dad's of a certain age. Let me just go and be with him, wait for him to pass away. Then the inheritance will come to me. Then I'll be able to come to follow you. The issue of what was taking place here was uh, a man's earthly inheritance, He was making a decision based on his earthly inheritance, where Jesus was saying, actually, I've got a greater inheritance for you. And so we've got to give measure to these things. So we're starting to see, we start to see when Jesus says these things, why people can be alone, why they think that they've made a decision to follow Jesus, but they haven't entered into the community because actually we don't like not having a place to put our head, and we don't like the fact that we may lose out on an earthly inheritance to gain a greater inheritance, which is a heavenly one, an eternal one. Let me say this, the scriptures also teach us that parents that leave an inheritance, that's a godly thing to do. So please don't hear that I'm talking against an earthly inheritance. 
But if it becomes a choice between the two, there's an eternal one that we need to choose every single time. And so there are these dynamics that uh, Jesus talks about. And then in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, I'm just flying through some scriptures just to help us understand something on community. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. Now, just to put some context to that. So uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John were good Jewish young men. They were good Jewish men. They had followed God. They had understood the Torah. They had become part of the Jewish family, and they were following the rules and the regulations as set out by God, uh, and they, they were doing that. And then suddenly, there is a man that Jesus invites to be part of the community that has made their lives a misery. What a tax collector was, was a Jewish man who had kind of sold out his soul to the Roman Empire in order to collect and extract taxes from the Jewish people. And so Matthew was this guy. See, he had chosen an earthly inheritance. He had chosen to make money over being the people of God, being one of the people of God. And so now you've got Peter and, and Andrew and James and John, good Jewish boys, standing next to a man that has made their life a living hell, literally because they would have extracted extra funds. We, we kind of read the stories of this. Standing together, and you can imagine these guys saying, hey, Jesus, I'm prepared to follow you, but I'm not prepared to stand next to this guy. And you start to ask the question, okay, Jesus, what, what are you doing here around community? What, what is this deal? Can, can I not follow you without standing next to him? Or without him being sitting on the chair next to me or in my circle? Is, is there no way that I can just keep with people like myself and love you? And we start to see that actually Jesus' call to follow him is to be in a community with people not like you. And we start to say, wow, there's a high bar to be in the community of Jesus. And that starts to make sense of the fact that when Jesus says, actually, if you want to follow me, you've got to lay down your life. Because we've actually died to ourselves. And then our life is again given to us in Jesus Christ. And it looks very different. It doesn't look like me getting to call the shots. It doesn't look like me being an individual with my own truth and my own commitment and my own authority, it looks like actually following Jesus. And if he chooses to invite someone that's not like me, then it seems to be okay for Jesus. Then I've got to be okay with it. And so I just want to look at a couple of things that uh, we possibly misunderstand about community, then some barriers to community, and then some helpful things that we need to pick up about community. I am going to go quite quickly through them because we want to display community through a baby dedication, through communion, and through baptisms. But let them trigger some thoughts. Maybe you just remember the, the key thoughts, the key words, and those can be worked out in your life groups, uh, around your dining room table, as a family. Work them out as to how you have entered into the community of God if you have done that. And so mistakes that we make. Mistakes that we make, because remember the call to follow Him is a call to join His community, is this. We mistake connectivity for community. We mistake connectivity for community. See, here, here's what medical science has taught us. I mean, God taught us a long time ago, but we tend to like medical science more than God sometimes. Uh, and medical science has taught us this, that actually the digital age has caused people to be more alone than any other age. Now we see it through medical science. 35% of the U.S. chronically alone. We spend more and more time on our digital devices 
It's not rocket science. See, connectivity is not community. The reason that we have multiple services on a Sunday is, yes, there's some spatial issues, but actually we, we know from human science that 100 to 150 people is all that the human heart and mind can handle in real-life community. And so that doesn't mean that's where the church has to be kept. We can have multiple more, and, and we could have Sunday gatherings of 1,000 people, 2,000 people. That's okay, but we've got to not con- we, we, we can't make the mistake of believing that because we come here on a Sunday, we're in community. Just because we're connected to Anthem Church or just because we're connected to the person sitting next to us doesn't mean we're experiencing what God's design was for how we should live our lives together. And it is why some of us are sitting here. This is not a criticism. This is an invitation to say there's a much better life ahead for us because Jesus has ordained it to be so and designed it to be so in His genius. But there is something greater for us to take hold of. You can be sitting here and still alone. You can have been coming here for 10 years, 20 years, and still be alone. That's not the design of God. He has something more for us. He has something better for us. You see, face-to-face conversation is the most human and humanizing thing we can do. We're just not made to keep in touch with so many people. And so don't mistake connectivity and particularly you younger people in this room, where our world, we've grown up. I, I get for the older guys, it's not so much driven by this, but the younger guys, you're, you're driven to how, how many followers do you have? How many likes do you get? I've got 1,000 followers, 2,000 followers, 10,000 followers, and, we, and our whole world is driven to that, and I'm desperately alone because none of them know me, and I don't know any of them because I spend more time designing and uh, filtering my photo than I do preparing and enjoying a meal with you face to face. This is not just an older guy not prepared to change. I'm fully prepared to change. But God would have a different pattern, and medical science confirms God's pattern. Second mistake we make is this. We mistake chemistry for community. And so what we like to do is we like to hang out with people that are like us. Like, I I find it much easier to have conversation with someone that likes to exercise because I value that. I find it much easier to talk to someone that has um, an educational background like me. I find it much easier to talk to someone that likes rugby. I find it much easier. So, So there's like a natural chemistry that takes place because of interests. That's not Jesus' community. He put Matthew, the tax collector, with Peter and Andrew, whose lives he made a living hell for however many years. And so let's not mistake chemistry to be community. Because what chemistry runs the risk of doing is following the individual track to tribalism, where actually all I just hang out with is people that are like me and think like me, and therefore when you think differently to me, suddenly I'm sitting on the opposite side of the table to you, as opposed to around a table enjoying a meal and having differences of thought. And so let's not make the mistake of thinking chemistry is equal to community. So what is Jesus's community. What does it look like? Well, Merriam-Webster Dictionary describes it as this, people with common interest living in a particular area. There's two very key things here. So one is common interest, 
and two is a particular area. Common interest I've just uh, kind of addressed. Jesus is not looking for a community where your common interest is a sport you play or music you like. Common interest is around Jesus Christ and what He has done. And so there is a common interest in this room for those that have accepted Jesus Christ. No matter what our background, no matter what our future, no matter what we like or dislike, we have a common interest, and that is Jesus Christ. But possibly even more important in today's day and age is from a particular area. From a particular area. So we've never really stated from here what our view is on online, uh, online church. So let me say this. We do not believe, we are not building an online community. Because we do not believe that that is God's intention. We will continue to put material online because there are some times where some of you are not able to be in the room and you want to catch up on a message, etc., etc. But the call is always land yourself in a local church wherever you are. So if I, I, I preach this message on Thursday for the online community and it goes out today and I said to him, where you are in the world, if you just keep having the habit of pulling into the anthem story by listening to what is taught here, and you're not part of a local church where you are, can I beg you to do that? And likewise to us, we're, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted here because we're all in the room, but we're not building an online community because that's not a particular area. And so the call is, we are a local church in Durban. And so if you do not live in Durban, you cannot be a part of this community. That's not, that's not a negative statement, it's a positive statement that actually there is a particular area. People, we're, we're called to the nation so people can benefit from us as a community. But unless we're able to know one another, sit around each other's tables in this particular area, we are not a community if it doesn't land itself in that, if it doesn't have the opportunity to land itself in that. And so a common interest is Jesus and a particular area for us right now is in the city of Durban. See, many of us have a pseudo-community where we show up every week, but we hold back who we really are. We hold back who we really are. We feel like we can connect in. We take connectivity to be community. And so I'm just going to look at uh, just some, brief, some th three things that, that hold us back from community. And maybe one of these will apply to you. Maybe one of them you'll battle with more than others. Uh, etc. So, so let me just put them all out there and, and you can process this with God and with your family. So what are some of the hindrances to joining, being a part of community? Well, one is individualism. You see, to the, the very fact of living in community means we have to commit to that community and individualism doesn't like to commit. See, individualism likes to keep your options open where you're the ultimate authority. And so the bulk of what's out there in the media is so counter what the gospel would do for us. We want to appoint loneliness ministers and then we keep putting content on TV and in social media that keeps this guy in their job, the loneliness minister. It's the church that has the solution. You see, having to commit is a deal breaker for many of us. We have to come under the authority of a way, of Jesus' way. We all have to lay down. If we want to be part of following Jesus and His community, we've all got to lay down. We've all got to lay down our preferences and allow Him to 
arrive or what that looks like for us as the Anthem family. And may I say this, that changes over the years, depending on who's in the community. It changes what it looks like. We are not the 30 30 years ago church or expression. There may be some people of you here from 30 years ago, but we can't keep looking like that because there's new people and community is, it's us. It's us. Number two, idealism. He who loves the dream of community more than the community itself becomes disillusioned. So let's take it to a marriage example. So we'll take it a little bit one step away from community. Is this. He who loves the ideal of marriage more than the partner they've chosen for marriage is in trouble. We can all agree with that. It holds for community. He who loves the idea of community more than the community itself. This is what ends up happening. We end up moving from relationship to relationship. And here's a comment which may hurt. We end up moving from church to church. Because we love the idea more than the people. Here's the deal. Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John with Matthew. We don't get to choose. We don't get to choose what the community looks like. You see, it's Jesus who saves, and then he calls people into that community. And so our hearts have to be laid down enough and open enough to walk with people that aren't like us, but that have a common interest in Jesus Christ. And that can be hard for us, because it's easier to love the idea of a functioning community rather than the brokenness of each other's lives. And so idealism gets in the way of us truly becoming part of the community. And lastly, intimidation. We're scared of fear. No, no, not we're, we're scared of it. We fear being part of community. And may I say this, this is not an introvert thing only. Extroverts are as likely to fear exposing their flaws, their weaknesses, their failures as our introverts. And so actually all humanity wants to withhold something of themselves. We, uh, social media is just an extension of what we want to be in person. Social media, we put up only our best days. Uh, it's the same thing that we want to present here in the room. Because we're fearful of what other people will think. Because we think that chemistry is what community is. And so if this person doesn't like me, or if this person doesn't connect with me, or if this person, then, then we don't, uh, like something's going to be broken. No, community is much deeper than that, friends. Community is me being able to deal with John's flaws and him being able to deal with mine, and we love each other anyway, and we'll keep encouraging one another on to Christ-likeness. And so intimidation is what we're scared of. You see, silence and solitude and real community are the two places that our real self is exposed. That's why people hate being silent. We want to fill it with music or TV. Or but actually, Jesus' practice was silence and solitude and community. Those were the two things he went between, silence and solitude and community. And we hate both because they both reveal who we truly are. So these are barriers, friends, into it. And so then what is it? And I'm going to end with this and then hand over to John. End with this point and then one story. What do we need 
to truly experience the community that Jesus asks us and invites us into. It's words that we all know, so don't switch off, but it is vulnerability and accountability. What vulnerability means in essence is I can, I'm okay to reveal my naked self to you. We all get that so that it's not lost in translation. We're not talking physical nakedness, but we are talking that emotional nakedness of, of who I am. I've got flaws. I've got faults. I battle with things. See, if I'm not vulnerable, then you can't know me, and then we don't have community. And if you're not vulnerable, I can't know you, and then we don't have community. And our vulnerabilities and our differences should not be that thing that splits us because we're not looking for chemistry to define community. We're looking for the love of God to define community. And so this thing of the church always splitting because as you get to know the pastor or as the pastor gets to know you, and it's like, can we be in the same room together? It's like, we've got to move on from that. We've got to mature on from that. We've got to mature on from that. There has to be vulnerability. But there also has to be accountability. What does accountability mean? Well, accountability means that actually you get to say something about my life. You get to call me out on stuff. But likewise, I get to call you out on stuff. That is tough in a world of individualism. That is tough in a world of idealism. That is tough in a world of intimidation. That's why all of those things we've got to deal with in our hearts. We've got to get rid of all of that stuff in order to enjoy what Jesus has truly formed, what the community is. That actually, I know that my best interest is for your, no, what I, that my motive is for your best interest. Therefore, when I pass a comment, it's not to pull, get one over you, but it's to inspire you on into righteousness and into what God has for you. But you can't know that unless you know me. And I can't know that about you unless I know you. So where does accountability take place? It doesn't take place in a Sunday service, friends. It doesn't take place with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount with 5,000 people there. It takes place around the dining room table. It takes place around the communion table. It takes place around where Jesus says, actually do this in remembrance of me. It takes place there. And so this, I'm not, I'm not wanting to downgrade Sunday by any stretch of the imagination. The people coming together to worship Him and hear the Word proclaimed is so critical to who we are, but it is not the only piece. Community is made around my table and your table. Is your home open, friends? Can you be vulnerable enough to open your home? Can you be vulnerable enough to invite someone into that sacred space? Are you able to move there? You see, the greatest intimacy comes from our greatest vulnerability, but it is hugely scary. Hugely scary. So here's my request of you as I close out with a story, is can you trust God in me and God in you enough for us to be vulnerable with one another's lives? Can you trust the Spirit of God in me? And can I trust the Spirit of God in you? That we can expose just a little bit more and a little bit more and trust builds and a little bit more and trust builds and a little bit more and trust builds. And then we have a deep, lasting community that doesn't splinter when our chemistry moment is done. It doesn't splinter 
when we have to do everything online. It doesn't splinter when I have a different political view to you. It doesn't splinter because we have deep, true community. I close out with this story. It's a biography called Boys in the Boat. And it's about one of the best sports teams of all time. It was a rowing team from the U.S. And uh, they were based in Seattle. And they rowed in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. And over the three years prior to the Olympics, they rowed 4,344 miles together to race in the Olympics 28 miles. They ended up winning gold. And in the book, the biography, it talks about how they would have bad days. In three years, not all four of them are going to arrive and all have a good day at the same time. So one was having a good day, one was having a bad day. One day was rainy, one day was sunshine. One day they capsized the boat, one day they didn't. One day one was having family issues, another day they went. One day somebody was high, somebody was low. But they rowed, they made a commitment to rowing 4,344 miles together so that at the moment that they needed to collect their gold medal, they were able to do it in their race. Likewise, with us as a community, can we row 4,344 miles together in order to receive our victory crown when Jesus comes back? Can we be together 4,344 miles on my good day, on my bad day, on your good day, on your bad day, on the rainy days, when our, when our boat capsizes. There will be times when our boat capsizes. Will we commit to turning it over, getting back on it, and helping one another? Can we do that as a community, friends? This is what Jesus calls us to. The invitation to follow Jesus is the invitation to join His community. Be a part of it. How do you do that? One, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's your first step. Jesus gives you an invite to follow Him. Only He can make you right with our Father in heaven. Only He can forgive sins. And so choose Jesus. If you have chosen Jesus and you come here on a Sunday and that is the sum total of what you do, you sit here and you are alone, may I encourage you to take another step towards community. Find a life group in this community. Find a life group. Open your home. Get people around your table. Take the next step to becoming a part of this family. Community is beautiful. You are beautiful, and you're invited into a beautiful story that Jesus is busy writing. Thanks.